You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hi, welcome to the Beckett Cook Show. I'm Beckett Cook, and I'm back for episode number two. Um, how time flies. So, I today I want to, and you know, on, on the Beckett Cook Show, basically I examine the lies of the culture and try to find the biblical truth under behind those lies. Uh, so that's kind of the the thrust of the show. And today I want to look once again at an article from the New York Times because the New York Times is a fecund orchard of material. And it's stunning. Have the cultural indoctrination of the Times is so stunning to me. Um, and it's been happening for 50 years or plus. And basically it's, it's, it's just the nonviolent version of the Soviet gulags, the re-education camps in the Soviet gulags or the, or Mao's cultural revolution in China. But I want to look at this article today and the, it's a, it was, it was in the design section of the New York Times and it caught my eye. Uh, it came out a month ago, but it's funny because today it actually was reposted in the Times. Uh, and so, it's the story of uh, a husband and wife team who had a clothing brand in New York called Millie and how the wife broke free from her husband and her brand. And uh, we'll get into it. But the title of the article is How the Designer of Millie Broke Free. So e- immediately when I saw the title, I was like, okay, there's something, there's something going on here and it's probably not good. And it says, uh, with her husband, Michelle Smith built a successful clothing brand on the idea of demure femininity. Then she ripped up her life. And the, the, the line where it says, uh, that Kath, the writer of this article is Catherine Rosman, Rosman. It says, you know, then she ripped up her life. And it's almost like that line, it's so celebratory. And you can tell that Catherine Roseman thinks that it's a great idea to rip up your life, which is bizarre, which is an upside down world as per usual with the New York Times. And so apparently what happened is Michelle Smith was, you know, she built this brand with her husband called Millie in New York. They had two kids. Their kids are 11 and 13 now and um then in 2013 she was in a soul cycle class which uh, by itself i mean the idea of soul cycle sounds very new agey to me i've never been to a soul cycle class but just the name alone just spells disaster (laughs) yeah if you're in a soul cycle class maybe it's harmless i don't know but the name is weird um and 
she was in this class and it says that she was wearing her legalized equality sweatshirt while she was in her spin class. And she ends up falling in love with the instructor of the, the class named Stacy Griffith. So she ends up leaving her husband for this soul cycle instructor and breaks up the family to follow her heart. And I always say it's, it's a terrible idea to follow your heart because according to the Bible, our hearts are, are wicked and are desperately wicked. And so it's, it's always a bad idea to follow your heart. And so she just is willing to break up this entire family. Um, and I don't know, and it doesn't mention what the husband, I mean, it doesn't say that he was a terrible husband or that he was abusive or anything. It just, it doesn't really say why they divorced. Um, I think it's literally because she was in this spin cycle class at soul cycle and fell in love with her instructor and left her husband for this woman. His name is Andrew Oshman, her husband. And that already there's, there's already, there's an issue because, um, I, I took JP Moreland's apologetics class at that Talbot school of theology when I was in seminary in 2017. And he mentioned this and, and it just rang so true to me that when a woman doesn't take her husband's last name because her husband's last name is Oshrin and her name is Michelle Smith, there's already problems brewing. There's already, it, it's, 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 you're already setting yourself up to, for failure because according to the Bible, when a man and a woman come together in marriage, it's a, it's a one flesh covenant. They become one flesh. And so if you, you kind of hold on to your, your, your name, you're not fully one flesh. And that always spells disaster to me when I see that, because, um, even, you know, uh, there's so many, many people who hang on to their, their maiden names thinking that, you know, it's some sort of statement, um, like a feminist statement or, or like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not giving up that part of myself, but it's like, yeah, but that's, that's the whole point of marriage. You become one flesh and, and it's, it's, um, it's dangerous to do that, I think. And, and to me, when I see that, I'm just like, here we go. Um, and there's beauty in, in, in becoming one flesh. And we'll get to that later. But so the article goes on to talk about Ms. Smith, not Mrs. Smith, but Ms. Smith. Um, the New York Times is very careful never to use the term Mrs. Uh, because that's too, old fashioned and traditional and, and sexist according to them. So they would never use the term Mrs. Uh, they just use the word Ms. And so I don't even know, I can't remember when the term Ms. came into fashion, came into vogue, probably in the seventies, uh, from the national organization for women. I don't know where it came from, but, um, so she has these kids 12, 11 and 13, and the article really just goes on to celebrate how Michelle Smith just really 
freed herself, got out of this marriage with this man, got away from this man, found this woman, and now her life is perfect, according to this article. And uh, Michelle Smith and her, her girlfriend made it official on Instagram. I think in, in, when was this? They made it official on Instagram. And uh, it says, Ms. Smith's, Ms. Smith has chronicled her metamorphosis from creative director of a corporate brand and wife to unbound, unbound, free-handed designer and champion of personal freedom, love, and LGBTQ rights. So she's unbound now because she left her husband. She's unbound. And... It goes on, the article goes on to say that uh, it, it sort of details how she met her girlfriend and what that was like and and how they, you know, kind of fell in love eventually. And at the end of the article, um, it says, it does mention, because the whole article, you don't get any kind of understanding or any perspective on how this divorce is going to affect these young children. And it's so destructive. It's so destructive to the children. And, you know, when I was growing up, my biggest fear in life was my parents divorcing. I mean, my parents, they had their, you know, their moments of fighting. And it was scary because it's like, I think that's the child's biggest fear because it creates so much insecurity and and parents happy, parents that are married and, and loving there's so much safety and security and that it's so important for the development of kids. And, and, um, and I just remember my, you know, worrying about that, but my parents stayed married until the bitter end. And, you know, it was difficult as they got older, it became difficult, but they, they refused to give in to the lie of the culture that, you know, Oh, if it's hard, then just leave the person. Yeah, it was hard for my parents. My, you know, my mother had Alzheimer's in the end, and it, it was very difficult for my dad, um, extremely. But they stuck it out till the very end. So, back to the article. Um, so they make it. They make their Michelle Smith and her girlfriend make their their um, their relationship public on Instagram, and. They post photos of themselves at the New York City Ballet. And, and the caption is hashtag love wins. Now, I don't, we can, we're going to, we'll get into the idea of love wins maybe in another episode, but it's that, that, that term love wins is meaningless. Like, what does that even mean? What it's so, it has zero meaning to it. Um, but we'll get to that in another time. And it says, that Michelle Smith finally feels comfortable in her own skin. So all those, uh, apparently all those years with her husband and, you know, having two children and, and creating a company together and raising the children, apparently she never felt comfortable in her own skin for all those years, but now she finally feels comfortable in her own skin, which is, which is always funny to me because it's like, yeah, but how long will that last? Because let's check back. I mean, let's literally do this in a year or two years. Let's check back in and see where Michelle Smith is with her girlfriend. Let's see if they're still together and if she's still comfortable in her own skin. 
But the last line of the article, which I'll read, says it's 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 just very disturbing. And I'll read the last line. It says, I have found my own, she's, Michelle is speaking. I have found my own voice and my confidence to freely express myself in my personal life and my creativity. For the first time, everything has aligned and it feels amazing and true. So the lie, the lie feels true to her. it's a lie and we're, we'll get into why it's a lie in a minute. But I, first let's ask the question, why does the New York times, why are they so bent on destroying the family, the traditional family? Like what is their motivation? Why would they want to do that? And I, I have a couple of answers, but the first one is Marxism. And I, you know, I have a copy of the Communist Manifesto right here. This is actually my copy from college. I don't know how I still have it, but it's, you know, it's a very thin little pamphlet of wicked lies. And Karl Marx and Frederick Engels obviously wrote it. And, and the, in the Communist Manifesto, and Marx and Engels wanted to, one of their one of their goals was to abolish the family. And literally it says that in here. There's a section, a little section that says abolition of the family exclamation point. And it goes on to to detail what that means. And and the reason they wanted to abolish the family is the, the natural hierarchy of the family is, is a problem because it doesn't comport with the, the true family of the Communist Party and in which the state owns all the means of production and controls all of life. So the family, there's a hierarchy. There's a mother and father and the children. And, and that hierarchy is bad for communism because communi- the hierarchy of communism is this. So, um, and I remember reading the Communist Manifesto. Also, the... The another reason is capitalism and private property are necessary for the bourgeoisie, for the middle class. So they want to obviously in Marxism, they want to overthrow the middle class, the bourgeoisie and uh, capitalism and private property are are part of that. And so are necessary for it. And I remember reading the Communist Manifesto in college, my freshman year. We all had to read it for some class, uh, and and I was really drawn into it. I remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is so perfect! It's beautiful! It's it uh, like on paper it looks so good." But the fatal flaw of this little book is it doesn't take into account the nature, man's nature, which is sinful and, and wicked. And, uh, and so it's impossible to impose this philosophy of Marxism, of communism onto human beings that are naturally sinful. And, and that, I mean, we've seen the results of that in the 20th century there were millions and millions of people killed in the name of communism 
because of communism and, and the Soviet Union and uh, under Lenin and Stalin and and then Mao's Cultural Revolution in China and and, and uh, Pol Pot in Cambodia and, and other places there there were millions and millions of people were killed uh, by various means uh, and I just I actually just finished reading the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn and it's uh, it's an amazing book it's a it's and it's about you know this big <laughs> the book it's this thick there's actually an abridged version which is slightly thinner but it's still a really long but it's it's fascinating and i highly recommend the gulag archipelago um but you see when you read it you're just like absolutely blown away by the just murderous evil, wicked destruction of human life because of communism and because of this ideology. So, and there's, you know, there's the idea of the long march through institutions. Um, and in 1967, this, this term long march through the institutions was coined by a German and it was a, it's a strategy for revolution. And this has been going on since the 60s. There's been this long march through institutions and in, in our society, through especially through academia and other professions. And in my college, I mean, I, I would say that almost all of my professors were Marxists. They, I mean, they just were. And uh, that that trickles down and, and it affects people. And people and you know, some when I graduated college, I mean, the Communist Manifesto didn't stick with me after college. I, I, I believed in free market enterprise and um, freedom and, and I, uh, but with a lot of people, I think, you know, when they, when they read the, this, this book, they, it sticks with them. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen the results of that in our culture and we've seen this long march through the institutions and, and I think a lot of the writers at the New York Times and other places, but we're just going to focus on the New York Times. A lot of the writers, if not all of them, are mar basically Marxists and uh, at, at the very least secular humanists. But there are a lot of them are Marxists. And um, the long march, the idea of the long march came from Mao's. Red Army and, and his communist Red Army when they marched, I think, like 6,000 miles through China in 1934, 1935. That's where uh, the, the, the term long march through the institutions came from. And so I think that's what's happened, obviously, to the New York Times is, um, is and it's funny because the New York Times, you know, they're always kind of perplexed. They have these articles about like the opioid crisis and how did this happen and where, you know, it's like, well, you caused it, New York Times. You caused the opioid crisis over 50 years of indoctrination of attacking the family for 50 years and, and destroying the family because when you destroy the family, you destroy society. The, the destruction of the family leads to uh, mental illness, it leads to drug addiction, it leads to homelessness, it leads to all kinds of ills in society. And so 
the the abolition of the family is where we are today. It's I mean, look all around, especially in Los Angeles, where I am now. It's like uh, it's all around me, and so you see its effects, and it's and the long march through the institutions has worked over the last fifty years, and it's it's worked, and it's destroying our societies, destroying lives. And so, but the real root of all of this, the real root of even Marx and Engels' communist manifesto is biblical. And it goes back to Romans chapter one, where Paul talks about the whole idea of suppressing the truth. Um, this is really the root of it all. Paul, Paul talks about, um, in chapter one, he talks about suppressing the truth. And there, he talks about these three exchanges that go, that happen when we suppress the truth. And he first, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. So the, and the writers in the New York Times, they're futile in their thinking because they don't honor God. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So they have darkened hearts. They're... And claiming to be wise, these writers, uh, what's her name again? The writer of this article is, gosh, I can't find it now. Uh, Catherine Rossman. She, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged, again, this is the second exchange. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Then Paul has one final exchange. This is controversial, but it's true. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So Paul really unpacks why this is even the case, why what is the human condition without God? We're suppressing the truth. And, and it comes out in all sorts of ways, including the communist manifesto and the New York times. And so um, another issue in this article is feminism. Um, and it's clear that the writer is a feminist and that Michelle Smith is probably a feminist and, well, she is. You can tell from what she says, her quotes. But there are a couple kinds of feminism. There's equity feminism, which is equality. It's equity fem feminism is just fairness between men and women. It's equality under the law. It's equality of opportunity. It's dignity, uh, personal liberty. It's also known as, uh, from Christina Hoff Summers, it's also known as freedom feminism. And basically, this, this can also, uh, it's also called first and second wave feminism. This is what those uh, waves of feminism are. E they're equity feminism. 
But there's, a, there's another feminism that is extremely destructive and it's what we, where we are now. It's called gender feminism. And gender feminism is entirely different from equity feminism. Gender feminism pit men and women against each other. Men and women are opposing tribes. There's a universal patriarchal uh, oppression against women. So there's a, there's a men are universally oppressing women in our culture. And there's this idea of toxic masculinity. Basically men are bad. Um, gender roles are arbitrarily defined. So the, the gender roles are a social construct, not instead of a biblical construct that God designed, um, according to gender feminism, these, the, it's just a social construct the difference between men and women in their roles. And the purpose is the purpose of gender feminism is to, is to uh, convince women that they are victims and that they are put upon by men in every aspect that language has to be liberated and textbooks and great works of art are all compromised by sex sexism. And so Gender feminism is, I mean, we see, we see it happening now in our culture, obviously with everything going on and it's so destructive. It's so anti-family. It's so anti-God and, and it's, uh, and again, it's going back to Romans one, it's suppressing the truth. Cicero said famously that the first bond of society is marriage. And when you break that bond, when you break that, um, that foundation of society, society falls apart and look where we are today. Society is, is falling apart very fast. And by the way, if you're a parent and you sent your child away to college and are spending $200,000 for them to be a gender studies major, well, you've wasted $200,000 because the, your daughter is going to end up hating her father because he's a toxic man and she's going to pity her mother for being a stay-at-home mother for example and the, the idea of stay-at-home mother is funny to me because it's like what other kind of mother is there i don't know when that phrase was coined stay-at-home mother i mean my mother was a stay-at-home mother she but to me she was just my mother and she took care of us and nurtured us and loved us and was there for us, which was so important, so important for our development and for our, our health and our mental health and our well-being. So the idea of kind of, and the New York Times spends, I don't know how much ink on denigrating the family, especially denigrating, quote, stay-at-home mothers. I mean, they just absolutely abhor stay-at-home mothers and they look at them with such contempt and scorn. It's insane. And uh, so anything that's the opposite of that, they will happily write an article on. If, if a woman is going to leave her husband and her kids for another woman, then then let's let's write a six page article on that for sure in the style section. That's really that's something to be celebrated and and wonderful. So let's talk about marriage and 
what is marriage? What is biblical marriage? And what is the biblical sexual ethic? And why, why is it so? And of course, we have to go back to Genesis to look at biblical marriage. Genesis 2, if I can find it. Um, so in Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a helper fit for him. Therefore, and it goes on to say, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. So in biblical marriage, the man and the 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 wife become one flesh, the man and woman become one flesh in this covenant of marriage. And as Tim Keller says, when you're in this covenant, you can be naked spiritually, emotionally, and physically with another person and not feel, not have this fear of abandonment, uh, which is not the case in, in our kind of quid pro quo relationships today in society where it's like, oh, like, for example, Michelle Smith, it's like, oh, my husband is not making me happy anymore. And this woman is. And so I'm just going to leave. And and so there's always this quid pro quo, like you better, you know, continue to, to make my life good. And otherwise I'm leaving. I'm out. And so um, that that's that's why it's so important to have this covenant and the safety within the covenant of marriage and and Jesus reiterates this this Genesis two idea in the Gospels. He he totally he reiterates the biblical uh, the biblical concept of marriage between a man and a woman, and they become one flesh. He repeats he he literally quotes Genesis, and Paul quotes it again in Ephesians five, and he takes it even a step further and compares marriage to to the marriage between Christ, who's the bridegroom, and, and his church, who's the bride. And, and he calls it a profound mystery. And it, so it's, it's this, this marriage. And, and so Paul, in Ephesians 5, it's not a cultural, it's, it's transcultural, because he's, it's not just Paul talking about marriage in his day in antiquity, traditional marriage. It's, he's grounding it in the creation narrative of marriage creation story and and uh grounding it in in god's design for marriage in genesis 2 so it's not just something of that time but it's something that's transcultural and and there is it's not there's not this cultural distance from it and so there um the other thing is the biblical sexual ethic. Why did why did God God created sex, and he sex is good. God created it; it's good. But he created it to be expressed within the these certain boundaries. And and why did he do that? He did it be for our flourishing, and because he wanted us as human beings to have well being and flourishing in this world, in this and. and Anything outside of that, um, that covenantal marriage between one man and one woman for life is destructive 
uh, whether it's premarital sex, whether it's extramarital sex, whether it's homosexual sex, whatever that is, anything outside of that is destructive. And you see the destruction. I mean, I, I, I lived that life for so long. Um, I lived as a gay man for so many years before I got saved in 2009. And, and I thought that I was sexually liberated. I, I mean, I, I had so many boyfriends and had so many affairs and, and I thought I was sexually liberated. It wasn't until after I became a Christian that I looked back on it and I was like, wow, I was in sexual bondage. That was sexual slavery. That was not sexual freedom. And, and I just look back on that with like, just stunned. And, 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 and the destruction, it's the amount of destruction of that was, it's incalculable. I mean, I, there, there, I didn't even realize this until after I became a Christian, but the, the emotional scarring of, of kind of all of those relationships I cycled through and all those different sexual encounters I had, it really had this, this profound effect on me and was very damaging emotionally and psychically. Um, and so, so all, you know, this article once again is, is just another lie from the culture and and this is just one of millions of of lies that uh come at us every day and it, and, it, and it's affecting even people in the church i mean the, this indoctrination and this re-education affects people in the church i've seen it so many times happen and and i've seen the the bad fruit of that and the divorce rate of christians and and it's it's just we have to kind of take a step back and say, where are we? Like we're in a very specific time and place and culture and history. And what is influencing our, what's influencing our belief systems? Is it, is it the New York times? Is it TV shows? Is it movies? Or is it this, is this influencing our, our belief systems, our, our thinking, our, you know, renewing of our minds, as Paul says, is our, our minds being renewed by the word of God or are our minds being renewed by, by lies from the world. So we have to keep that in mind. And I hope today was helpful and uh, please share, like, and subscribe to the Becca Cook show and next, and I'll see you next time. Uh, I have a lot a lot more to say about a lot of these issues, but um, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Hi, I'm Zach. 
And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, we hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and to, especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.